Uh, let's be realistic. I honestly don't enjoy gun violence in the U.S., so I came back without the least hesitation. This is only a trend indicating there will be some shift from the private sectors, from the multinational sectors to the public service, to the SOEs. But this trend will be shifted again if we have our policies, consistent policies going forward. One reason is that they do not have the right type of work environment because uh, nobody can really do a solo. Even they have uh, good research skills, so they need a orchestrated uh, environment uh, in which they can really play out. You know, with the breakthroughs in technological research, which is not there yet for many organizations. So right now,、uh, bureaucracy is one big issue. In the end, it is really how we can really、uh, set up the right type of environment in a holistic approach to have the bird, respect the bird, and、uh, support the bird laying more eggs. Instead of、uh, trying to base these people in universities, which are inherently conservative organizations, set them up with partnerships. Make them like the Huawei or Tencent distinguished professor of something or another, and then have them connected to industry, and then have industry supporting, but also providing some access to labs and create a better synthesis between the universities and、uh, the private sector. And that may create some, all sorts of interesting openings, as well as new financing、uh, to make this affordable. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge Welcome to the Chat Lounge. I'm Tuyun. China is seeing a record number of its overseas graduates returning home, but at the same time, the country is found to have fallen short of attracting top talent, especially in the science and technology field. So, what's behind such a phenomenon? Can there be any change? Joining our discussion on this topic are Helen Hanhua, President, Beijing Belt and Road Cooperative Community; Dr. Liu Baocheng, Director of the Center for International Business Ethics, University of International Business and Economics; Joseph Mahoney, Professor of Politics and International Relations, East China Normal University; and my colleague Song Raixin. She joined our team after completing her studies in the UK and the United States last August. So, a warm welcome to you all.、Um, let me start with Raising. You were one of、um, the more than one million overseas Chinese graduates who returned home last year. So, what prompted your decision to come back right after graduation? Was it your original intention when you embarked on the journey to study abroad, or? Did you change your mind over time? Actually, I've got a few reasons why I came back right after I graduated from my school. First of all, is family. I've spent five years abroad, so I am an only child in my family. So,、uh, as my parents and grandparents are getting older, I have to take them into consideration. That is the main reason why I came back. Another thing is opportunity. I got my job before I came back. To be honest, even before I got my certificate, so I think this is a good try, a good choice for me, especially as a graduate. And another thing is safety.、Uh, let's be realistic. I honestly don't enjoy gun violence in the U.S., 
So I came back without the least hesitation. So I never changed my mind. And uh, yeah, I came back without any hesitation. Mm, coming back for good. So what about your um, Chinese peers? How many of them come back to China for, for work? In my class, I think most of my classmates came back. I'd say this does not represent the whole because it depends on majors. Uh, my flatmates are doing computer science and she said, um, I think half of her Chinese peers chose to stay in the U.S. Uh, rather than came back to China is because they may not be confident in their ability to achieve better op opportunities if they come back. And uh, they don't like 996 quarter. And uh, yeah, I think that's the main reason. Mm, probably that's uh, just with the U.S. or some other Western countries. But according to a survey conducted by uh, China's leading job site, uh, Jiaoping.com, over the past three years, the number of overseas graduates returning and looking for jobs in China has increased significantly. And uh, last year, the number of fresh graduates returning hit a record high. It's up 8.6% um, from um, 2021. So, Helen, um, are you surprised by this? No, I'm not surprised at all. I think, you know, uh, how to elaborate. When you see the rain or brain drain in this topic, it does not happen simultaneously and you don't examine it from the moment it is raining. You know, it comes a long way before we feel the rain. So when you see brain drain or the reverse of it, we may want to discuss why, when, how and what direction it may lead. Indeed. And the impact of change of context. In that, I would like to point out the flow of the talent moving from China to abroad and vice versa is hugely affected by the pandemic and the subsequent control of COVID policy from each country in the past three years. So if we want to discuss this topic, I would like to say that before COVID and post-COVID, there might be this kind of trend and this trend might be accelerated to some extent. Mm, and you focus on the impact of the COVID. Mm. Have you found any other causes behind this? Yeah, we have to take the grand geopolitical change or the great power competition, the ongoing war in the heart of Europe into considerations as well. And they realize that it is becoming one of the most important, if not the most important factors to shape the thinking and action of young Chinese talents when they face the crossroads of their lifetime. Having said this, I would like to point out that there are many, you know, people who plan to come back before the outbreak or COVID or the plan was suspended during the control and they have to make some new plan which takes time you know it is a big deal after college as to where to stay what job to apply whether further education is needed etc i appreciate what ray xing just said because she clearly has reaching you clearly have you know very clear-cut answers to this question but to many other chinese peers or students they may need to face that at a later stage with regard to opportunities, with regard to the political environment overseas or back in the home countries. So there are a lot of factors into consideration and this kind of war and geopolitical change certainly add a more complicated factor into their consideration. And I would like to add here that Chinese people are one of the most open-minded, brave peoples in the world by leaving homes and families behind 
traveled tens of thousands of miles away to pursue further education and a better, hopefully better work and lives. So whatever decision they are making, it is based on multi-facets of considerations and should be honored. Mm, indeed. And uh, Professor Leo and Professor Mahoney, both of you are working at universities and you are in contact with many you know, Chinese students. From your perspective, are you surprised by the rising number of the returnees? Uh, look at the track of uh, the several waves of returnees. Uh, they have had very different motivations. Uh, before and after the New Republic, uh, you know, the people came with uh, more of the political inspiration and to get engaged in Chinese revolution, to overthrow the decayed, the maturing government. And then the People's Republic of China really gave uh, people the ideal for them to contribute to China's uh, new rise. And now uh, we, we see uh, in, uh, through the open door policy, we can see the motivation is more individualistic. There's nothing wrong with that. But uh, I do agree with the previous girl who said about the motivation. One is, uh, you know, family union. The other is uh, the job opportunity. And some also commented on the uh, easiness or amenity of the Chinese culture, food, etc. And patriotism is really downgraded to number five for uh, most of the surveys. The other issue is that uh, we can see that uh, the sources of those returnees are very different. Actually, those who are in the English-speaking countries, most of them choose to stay at least for a while before they can really earn more of the job experiences. And those who are in those the lesser developed uh, economies, I should say, uh, they come in big number. So these are uh, different uh, the motivations and together with the uh, match of uh, different uh, majors or different uh, uh, job skills. Right. Uh, but but really um, uh, this survey also found that um, one important reason is that um, the returnees uh, uh, think that it's more convenient to live in China. For that reason, would you say uh, the students or the graduates of this generation uh, are too fragile to endure some uh, hardship. Oh, yeah, I can give you a very uh, immediate example. I recommended one student from uh, from a very affluent family uh, who studied in the United States, and she came back, uh, you know, after one week, saying that uh, the United States is too backward. I don't have house nannies to work for me. I don't have the right food, etc. So that's an extreme cases. Uh, but uh, the other issue, of course, you know, the uh, most of these uh, generations are really the the result of the Chinese uh, uh, population control, and so therefore uh, there is a level of uh, spoilage among uh, a small percentage, I should say, uh, of them. But more of them are really making uh, very uh, realistic calculations whether. They can have the right type of package, and that's actually the top expectation. And uh, the other is job stress. So as a matter of fact, uh, the survey shows that uh, the skill match is a lesser important issue. So the culture is one very important thing, but uh, more uh, is really there that uh, many of the Chinese organizations are able to match uh, some of their expectations in terms of the payment package. So that's uh, something that's very realistic. 
to Joseph. What's your uh, interpretation of this phenomenon? Well, you know, I, I, I can reflect a little bit. When, when I first came to China many years ago, I would have students come to me for advice on how to apply for graduate programs in the United States or Europe. And what they were really interested in doing was finding uh, a program that they could use as a bridge, that they could use to uh, find a job in the West and then to build a career in the West. But uh, in, in more recent times, I, I would say going back uh, the last seven or eight years, increasingly it's been people wanting to go overseas in order to get a degree, uh, to have that experience, but more importantly, to be more competitive here in China. You know, and two points here. The first is in China, most of the master's degrees are three years uh, in length, and, and they require a lot of the uh, esoteric <laughs> uh, academics, whereas you can go to Europe and get a master's in a year. Uh, I don't know what the real quality of that master's is, but nevertheless, you can do that. You can do it in the US. Certainly easy to do it in two years. And then you have this name brand degree that you can market uh, when you come back to China. So I think that that was part of the growing trend. I've, I've never been someone who has believed in the, the narrative that starting with the 90s generation or the 2000s generation or now the 2010 generation, that these are what you know, they would be sometimes call in Chinese strawberries, that they, that they bruise easily. Uh, I find that on the whole, they're a lot less tolerant of certain types of nonsense that uh, maybe the previous generations took as, as just part of uh, life. I, I agree with Bao Cheng. There's certainly those who are extremely spoiled, but uh, that's always been the case. It, with respect to you know why some are leaving and why some are staying, there has been this dramatic increase in anti-Asian violence. There has been a downturn economically in, in certain sectors in the United States. Uh, if you're not in tech or the hard sciences, then you know you're probably going to be facing job prospects that are not as good as what you would have in in China itself. Um, and then you know if we look at Europe, the UK is entering a recession this year. Uh, the rest of Europe is struggling. Even in the case of Germany, you know, we have a country that's that's already facing labor unrest and struggling to absorb Ukrainian refugees and their workforce. So it's not surprising that people would be leaving, even if they had, uh, you know, considered, as as many previously did. You would go and do a master's. You would try to get two years of work experience, and then use that to leverage yourself into a better position back in China. But I think the real issue is, you know, China has risen. And people are no longer looking for something better. And, and, and for many people, China is the best that they can do. It's a, a country that they love, their friends, their family. And, you know, the one thing I hear a lot of people talk about is food. <laughs> These are compelling reasons to come home. But, uh, you know, generally speaking, about 80% of the graduates are returning to China. But in comparison, those in, the, in Canada or Germany or the States and Australia, uh, the percentage is not that high. Isn't the number of returnees from um, Western countries supposed to go up given, you know, the increasing anti-Asian hate crimes in that part of the world? Well, I haven't seen any statistics on that. And, and certainly, I haven't seen any surveys that they're asking that question directly. But I would, I would suggest just from pure speculation, you know, because I was stuck in the U.S. for two years during uh, the pandemic. And one of the things that I found is that there was this incredible anti-China narrative. And, and I had many Chinese friends and colleagues there. And if you were Chinese, then 
you really had one of two options. You could either buy into the anti-China narrative and sort of try to use that to inoculate yourself from criticism and try to, to leverage that into an opportunity, right? Okay, yeah, you're right. Uh, China is evil. I don't want to go back there e either, blah, blah, blah. Or to say, okay, that's nonsense. I'm out of here. I'm going home. I think it's also the case, though, that I think in certain fields, if you go to work in China in certain fields, given the type of um, polarization, that the, the attempts uh, by the United States now to foster uh, tech decoupling, uh, you may never be able to work outside of China again in a leading country. So, for example, if, if you are in the tech sector and you come back and you work for Tencent or Huawei, you know, would you forever be marked as you know, an agent for a, a hostile foreign country? Uh, I, would, I would assume that that's what some people are thinking. Um, uh, and so, you know, there, there may be, okay, well, I, I need to maximize my opportunity overseas while I can, and I can always go home later. Uh, but if I go home now and work in certain fields, I may never be able to to go out again. Yeah, let me sense. offer a question on my ideas. Uh, one sure. is, I think, the you know, these countries actually are more open to uh, international population for job opportunities in terms of the visa. And uh, there are also uh, green cards that are more available. So uh, job opportunities and uh, immigration policy is really uh, the attractive part. The other is that uh, these countries actually are more catered to critical thinking, particularly for those uh, students who stay longer in that type of environment. They feel that uh, the Chinese type of uh, guanxi, the well, uh, personal relationship, spider web, etc., they feel that uh, it's being too complicated for them to tackle, particularly for students with uh, ordinary families who don't, do not have their pipeline to uh, authorities. And the other is that... Uh, you know, the, some of the students and the even scholars who are engaged in research labs, they do not really find that uh, the, uh, China uh, still, you know, offers uh, the right type of uh, work environment in which the, the funding, also the working system, uh, do not really match their skills so that uh, they do not feel that they have uh, a strong sense of achievement. As a matter of fact, my son is also hesitating. He got a He's about to get a PhD by May this year with the commencement, and he's uh, uh, both in the uh, biology area and also in the uh, law area. And he's also hesitating, you know, where to get the right type of job and whether, you know, I'm going to set up some uh, connections. I said, okay, it's all yours. Uh, you know, you are able to compete on yourself and you make your own decision. So <laughs> you, you, didn't give it, you, you didn't give him any suggestion? Uh, I could give him sort of some advice, but I wouldn't really leverage uh, the type of uh, uh, personal connections or report to uh, assist that because I said, you're a grown-up and uh, I'm free of any other responsibility and do not even count on my house and do not even count on my meals. <laughs> well, once again, you're too harsh on your son. Well, <laughs> Yeah, Bao Chung really, really like an American dad there. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> unlike many uh, Chinese parents. All right, I'm, I'm I'm very much a Chinese dad. I do whatever I can to, to leverage. All yeah, it seems so. Reverse assimilation. The chat lounge. The chat lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. You are listening to the chat lounge, and we are talking about China's brain drain reversing.
So many of you talked about job opportunity in China as one of the important reasons that attract Chinese、uh, graduates back home. But、uh, I'm wondering what they are looking to do in their home country.、Um, Raising, you've joined us, but what about your、uh, Chinese alumni who already returned home?、Um, what are they doing now? Well, some of them chose to be a civil servant, and some of them working for private companies. So,、uh, what's the percentage、uh, of those、uh, working as a civil servant? Well, I think not too many, but、uh, it has a kind of po- large proportion. And、uh, the reason why they make this choice is because they feel、um, they need work-life balance. And、uh, when people are working for private companies, they feel they can't realize that kind of you know work-life balance. And uh, uh, especially for my generation, they begin to realize how how important their life quality is. And、uh, so I think joining a state-owned enterprises or become a civil servant is one hundred percent understandable. Right, right. And uh, also uh, this、um, study. Found four about four of every ten returnees are saying they want to join state-owned enterprises or civil servants. So I'm not quite sure if this percentage is higher or lower than in previous years. Baojun, do you have any idea there?、Uh, it is getting higher because、uh, right now job security,、uh, instead of、uh, the chance for promotion, is uh, prevailing uh, at the moment, and、uh, it's really compatible with the family. Union work because、uh, it is not really the drive for achievement that is there to prioritize their job choices,、mm-hmm. and the fact that、uh, the success rate is low in those、uh, civil servant area and in SOE area, although it is much on the top of the of their desire, is that because the job opportunities are less, but、uh, th- these remain the top choices. And、uh, as a matter of fact, the before. Well, I should say,、uh, one decade ago, it is really the multinational companies,、uh, either in joint venture or wholly owned, they are the most attractive one, and because、uh, they were not completely localized, they need the Western vocabularies, they need Western way of thinking in terms of management and compliance. But right now,、uh, you know, SOEs are really taking the top consideration. As a matter of fact, the private companies are. Almost among the bottom line of choices, unless they are very noticeable, like Huawei or Xiaomi or JD.com. So otherwise,、uh, you know,、uh, job security is still、uh, the top consideration. Right, but some people say、um, if the percentage of overseas Chinese students aiming to join、um, the SOEs or civil services is that high, the country. Truly, will have no future.、Um, Helen, do you agree with this?、Uh, to some extent, I'm personally surprised by the percentage of you know overseas returnees joining the the SOEs or the、uh, to to join the public service. I would like to share with you my personal story, which、mm. is like almost twenty years ago. I was a overseas returnee. At that time, I just. To echo, you know what Professor Bauchens just said, that at that time the multinational companies 
as well as some, you know, some entrepreneurship, entrepreneur private sectors are certainly more appealing because it provides more opportunities. It provides more flexible, you know, ways of working and uh, even the work and life balance. So definitely it w- was at that time the, the, the first choice, the top priority for overseas returnees because they are, you know, it's it's like, a, it sounds like a perfect, it works like a very perfect match. Overseas returnees are regarded more capable. They have their language capability. They have their other capabilities in, in surviving. So it was like a perfect match. But these days, I think this trend does not stand in the overseas returnees alone. It echoes the whole, you know, econ- economic landscape in China. After decades of high-speed development and growth. China is slowing down in its economic development and in its societal development. So I think it is still in the transition period as to, uh, you know, going to a more stabilized situation, whether people can find their interesting position and own position in this society. So nowadays, it seems like the not only towards the overseas returnees, but also to the university and college graduates in China domestically, the SOEs as well as the public services sectors are certainly you know, more appealing and more attractive given the job security, given the, the work and life balance, just like Ration mentioned and some other benefits that you could never experience or imagine until you get into that category. So I think it reflects the economic development, the features right now, the characteristics right now, but it, it does not necessarily reflect the longer time picture because I think from the central government's policy, to the local, provincial level, to the city level, we can see the encouragement measures from different government levels as to encouraging the booming and the flourishing of the private sectors, especially after the lift of the COVID control after almost three years. This could bring you know, more opportunities. And also, given the geopolitical change and the great power competition, because of the decoupling, there might be more opportunities in terms of the such as the finance, financial products, as well as the high-tech sectors, which needs more innovative innovations and which needs more private sectors to join together to come up with new high-tech and with more motivations and uh, creativities in this sector. So I think there will be more opportunities. I'm optimistic there will be more opportunities in the private sectors as well, as long as our economic policies and as well as our foreign policies, for example, are consistent. So this is only a trend indicating there will be some shift from the private sectors, from the multinational sectors to the um, the public service to the SOEs, but this trend will be shifted again if we have our policies, a consistent policies going forward. Well, actually, that brings a very uh, challenging question as uh, uh, to what uh, you have raised to you. And is that a, yeah, I know you, you've got to, a lot to say yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> Continue, please, I mean, Chen. How, to calculate, how to calculate the brain drain versus the brain gain? So we can't mm-hmm. just... Uh, we can't just calculate the number uh, mm-hmm. increase in terms of the mm-hmm. returnees, but how we can really best utilize their job skills and their knowledge. And that's a very important question for policymakers and also for other employers to consider. Indeed. So I'd like to add something. Sure. Yeah. So first, the one criticism that I hear of the younger generation that I think is probably true 
say compared to the 70s generation or to to a lesser extent the 80s generation but certainly the 60s generation before is that they tend to be less risk-taking and this would be consistent with the fact that many of them grew up under much better circumstances they have lives and, and standards of living that they want to protect as opposed to risking it all for something more and uh, i think in uh, rishin mentioned security you know wanting to, to get away from the insecure environment in the united states I, i think that that security uh and and helen was talking about also you know the security of working in a state-owned enterprise uh, it could be that security is the driving issue Now, I say conservative. The younger generations are, can be very open-minded and progressive about certain social issues, but very conservative when it comes to trying to sustain a certain standard of living. Uh, the other thing is, it, it may well be that people who are coming back, because this, was, this has often been the case, uh, and I've certainly seen this with a lot of my graduates here in China who go to work for state-owned enterprises or go to work for the government, is that they work in these organizations for a few years, And they build up a Guanxi network, and then they take that into the private sector. And so that may be, you know, th there's been a lot of people, for example, that go to work for CGTN or CCTV or, or Xinhua, and then go to work for, you know, the PR department of one of China's leading firms. So maybe they're playing that type of, of long game. I'm, I'm not sure. But I will, I will add one final point here, which is I, I was talking to some friends who work and stayed on enterprises. And we know that during the difficult year last year with uh, the zero COVID policy, a lot of the state-owned enterprises were being pushed to uh, try to maximize employment, especially with young people, uh, in order to prevent any sort of uh, youth unemployment crisis. If we go back to before the current uh, generation of leadership in Beijing, the idea was maybe the state-owned enterprises would finally be reformed and reformed downward. We haven't moved in that direction at all. In fact, uh, the trade war that the United States instigated, as well as the other black swan events, uh, made China more dependent on the state-owned enterprises. And so th they're the biggest, safest game in town right now. I think it was Helen who was saying, well, maybe the policies will shift at some point, and then we'll see people gravitating to other types of employment. But it's quite sensible for people, I think, to move uh, in the direction of, of security at this point in time. Right. Helen, you got anything to add? or? Yeah, I, I, I would like to say that 20 years ago, when I was returning to China, I also, like Rishin, had a job offer in my hand, which is that the Murdoch News Corp was expanding in the China market. So they successfully landed their very first satellite TV in China. So they need Chinese hands who are familiar with the Chinese environment, who are familiar with the Chinese media landscape, like Joseph mentioned, who has some PR and Wanshi in, 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 in their pockets to come back to take care of, you know, a foreign media's China business. So it was like a perfect match. So this is a combination of job security for an individual and also the media landscape changing at that time in China. Nowadays, it is the macro and the micro combination is that whether you have this kind of sense of security, a combination. When I was in UK, actually, three to two months ago, in London in particular, I was really puzzled by the strikes. The, from time to time, there, you know, different kinds of, you know, works of life, they are taking the street, especially when the medical workers, first time in 
Britain's strike history, the medical workers, the nurses, and the, the doctors, they are taking the street asking for a salary raise. And also the workers for the railroad and subways, they are taking the street, causing a lot of trouble for the ordinary and the daily routine of work and life. So I was really puzzled because I was there before the COVID in the 2019. I was still enjoying the food, the transportation, the everything in London. But after three years, I was kind of surprised and even feel sad to face the strikes on a daily basis. And I lived near Piccadilly Circus, where is the busiest and the downtown, the heart of London. But I was told by my friends that I need to take care of my my purse, I need to take care of my personal safety into consideration. So I was really surprised by even this kind of warnings. Definitely. Security is a um, to a lot of people is um, first and foremost concern for them when they decide where to work or where to stay. And maybe that's why a lot of, um, I shouldn't say a lot of, but an increasing number of uh, Britons are coming to China mm-hmm. to work and live <laughs> here. And uh, no matter what the, what the reason is behind uh, the returnees um, coming back home. An important uh, point is that they need to to be qualified, right? There's this supply side of the market, and there's this demand side. They need to be qualified for their jobs. But there is a, a very, probably we can say, an embarrassing situation. On the one hand, China is doing better in attracting the majority of fresh graduates overseas um, back home. On the other hand, the country seems to have failed to attract um, expatriates' uh, talents back home. That's according to a study conducted by researchers with the University of Hong Kong and Shanghai Jiao Zhong University. It found the country failed to attract top expat back home, especially those in science and technology. That comes in spite of talent recruitment projects such as Thousand Talents Program, China introduced to appeal to first-class experts. So I'm wondering, or not just me, a lot of people are asking what went wrong. So Bao Cheng? Actually, as uh, uh, Rao Yi recently calculated, uh, uh, so far there are no more than two dozen of uh, full professors who really are able to come back to China on a permanent basis. Yeah, Rao Yi, you have to uh, explain who's Rao Yi. Yeah, Rao Yi is a a very renowned professor uh, with Tsinghua University, and uh, uh, he was really the success story for China to recruit the top-notch talent to uh, uh, work in China in the biology area. And uh, he had a number of breakthroughs in their research, but... uh, Actually, if we refer to the uh, number of survey results which I compare, is that uh, one reason is that they do not have the right type of work environment because uh, nobody can really do a solo, even they have uh, good research skills. So they need a orchestrated uh, environment uh, in which they can really play out you know, with the uh, breakthroughs in technological research. Uh, which is not there yet for many organizations. The other is uh, the peer jealousy, because uh, you know the those uh, who work around or work together shoulder to shoulder with you, you know why should you get uh, you know such a, a stunning high pay, and I don't. So actually, uh, on my campus, you know we are always debating whether the uh, attractive package 
for returnees of the uh, top talents would really worth a while. That's the second reason. And uh, the third reason is that uh, in some organizations, they only want their uh, past performance to add to the credentials or in the ranking for academic excellence, but uh, they tend to ignore the potential. So therefore, the older people are more attractive because they have a longer list of uh, the past delivery, but whether they have the right type of potential to have another drive, uh, that's a very important question. And uh, then also that uh, in some organizations, they do not really deliver. Uh, what was really promised in terms of the package, in terms of the work environment, in terms of the uh, number of working hours, etc. So this is really disincentivized, uh, you know, uh, the top talents to really to come back to China on permanent basis. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. And uh, Helen, you obviously decided to come back, and I believe you are outstanding among your peers at that time, especially at that time. But have you asked your friends or classmates who decided to stay, or who who said I wouldn't go back to China? Why? Thank you for your question. I first because I'm not regarding myself as a top talent. I'm、right. just one of them. But I think Yan Ying is certainly an idol and is setting a high bar of her, you know, personal experience. She received her college education in Tsinghua, the number one university in China. But her case, her case is very interesting. And then she pursued a further education in Princeton, following you know her mentor,、uh, Shi Gong's、uh, footprint. Which is great, which she can enjoy. You know, a group of top talents to work together to study together. Then she came back. She was attracted back by Tsinghua University with a really favorable policy by helping her to set up her own lab, and help give giving her a lot of you know different very unique policies to encourage her study in her particular research area. But then she she certainly she enjoyed and she certainly suffered. We we do not want to you know hide this part of truth. So she chose to go to Princeton to be a you know tenure, a professor in Princeton. But then I think the opportunities in China is irresistible. So most recently we saw her coming back. I don't know what's the arrangement behind the scene, or whether she can keep her a tenure professorship in Princeton and also set up her own enterprise in Shenzhen, or she have to sacrifice one for another opportunity. But that shows that it is always a healthy, you know, policy for the. Top talents coming back to China or going from China is a two-way street. It's a healthy street. It's an open street, and it cannot be closed anymore. So people can choose based on their interest, based on their scientific or research aspirations, and the seriousness of their research, and then their aspiration for setting up an enterprise. To contribute more to the society, so I think Yanning's case is a very vivid one to show that if we continue this kind of encouragement, or、uh, there, there certainly will be very favorable policies behind the scene, so that if the country can continue this kind of avenue and、uh, 
tells people, tells young students, the Yanning is a very good case, and just to show the freedom, to show also, you know, we are we are honoring, you know, this kind of scientific scientific right. achievement. Right, right, it could be great. Um, I I understand Helen always focuses on you know the positive side of, of things, but it's the part can, that I can give you something negative. Sure. <laughs> right, go ahead, uh, Joseph. I would build on something that uh, Baocheng said, but um, add something to it. You know, in the late '90s, accelerating in the early 2000s, China pushed forward a number of uh, reforms for higher education. We used to use the terms two one one and nine eight five schools. You know, I know that when when I came to work for ECNU in 2010, that was still a very heady period of time. There was not much geopolitical tension with China and the West. ECNU was the, and I think it still is, the number one school in Shanghai for international programs. About half our our downtown population was foreign, and we had you know this massive. Campus in the suburbs, right next to Shanghai Jiatong's、uh, campus in the suburbs, and so we've seen this period of time where, where China's higher education went from the what we used to call the elite model to the mass model, and there was just there was a lot of money and there was a lot of opportunities and,、uh, and you could you could start new programs and you could try new things and it was very much this time you know China sometimes goes to these periods where okay let's try something new let's see what works、uh, any sort of reform that you propose okay let's let's try that out and see how that works. But a couple of things happened. One, at a certain point, again, maybe five, six, seven years ago, it got to where we were perhaps producing、uh, too many graduates、uh, for the economy to absorb. We started seeing new restrictions on、uh, how many PhD students we could take, and it became a lot more competitive for funding. Now, that may not directly affect some superstars, but it would、uh, drive the sort of jealousy and competition. That Bao Chang was talking about,、uh, which I think has become more intense in Chinese universities in the last half decade,、um, and we also know that、uh, as China has faced more headwinds, people have become more cautious, a little more careful about what they say and do, and I, I wouldn't say it's really、uh, oppression or or repression, but I think there's this this tendency of just of more caution. And, and by the way, we have that same problem on American universities. But it would be another factor that people would perhaps say, okay, well, you know, maybe I'm not going to dramatically increase or improve my conditions if I go back to China. Maybe, maybe it's、um, about the same, or more or less the same as as what I might find in the U.S. or or somewhere else. But there is one more issue, and that is one of the things again that Baocheng was saying is that there's this tendency to reward people who have demonstrated excellence, and and as he noted, you, you may be. Hiring someone in and, and promising them the world, and they've already done their best work, right? And it's real hard to identify that type of potential, or certainly in in China's bureaucratic-oriented system of of assessing talent and and rewarding positions, it's hard to institutionally identify and reward that talent in the sciences, in technology, where it can take time to develop that level of expertise. Conversely. If you look at uh, uh, people who are working in the humanities, if you're looking at people working in the arts, they tend to peak early. <laughs> they tend to do some of their best work when they're younger, and、uh, they write brilliant books. They they publish brilliant articles, and、um, it's much easier for them to demonstrate this type of、um, uh, ability and to be rewarded for it. And and I know several young scholars who came back from overseas. And they were hired directly into Chinese universities as full professors.
of course that created a lot of tension with with other people in the university and in short periods of time some were promoted to Chengjiang scholars right because they could produce international quality the, the very highest level quality of work um, and it's it's almost impossible to do that so quickly in the science and tech fields and so this could be another reason why why there's a, a discrepancy in terms of attracting that type of talent Right. I, I'd like to share the story of my alumnus from uh, um, from university. He is also working in the biochemical research field. I remember I I tried several times to to persuade him to come back to China because you know the security concern is really big in the states, but um, probably not in the state he's right now living in. But um, he his answer is, I, I wouldn't come um, go back. The word he used was, it's impossible for me to go back. And uh, obviously, he doesn't like the work environment, or as you've already mentioned, the bureaucracy in uh, the system. That could be a, I think, probably the biggest concern for those um, high-end um, scientists. They want to work in a very simple environment, um, don't have to deal with all kinds of um, bureaucracy or, or cronyism. So probably a final question to all of uh, our guests. You know, we got this problem. So we want the medicine or the recipe you know, to solve the problem. And um, I think Baocheng is one of those who are most familiar with the situation. Let's start with you, Baocheng. What would be your suggestions to solve the problem so that um, people like Yanning would uh, keep coming back? You know, we uh, start from the need end. Uh, the uh, top talents, they are individuals, and they are family members, and they are researchers. And they wanted to uh, live as in a sort of ecosystem that they feel comfortable and also have the sense of achievement. So right now, uh, bureaucracy is one big issue. Uh, some of my colleagues uh, who returned uh, back on the campus and say, oh, you know, I need to bag the content to settle my reimbursement for days and the logistic support to buy medical or uh, other type of computing equipment. It could take months. And then uh, when I go attending the international conferences, I need to apply at least one month in advance. And even when I uh, wanted to host international conferences, and uh, uh, there's a whole layer of red tapes to cut. So uh, that's really a disturbance. Actually, that brings us to a uh, they are a very popular fable that a uh, Mr. Ye loving the dragon. You know, uh, Mr. Ye worship the dragon, and he every day he just dreamed of the dragon. But when the dragon comes, and then Mr. Ye just run away. So that's the bureaucracy issue. The other is the family issue. Actually, you know, due to a realistic obstacle of language. So when they, you know, those top talents, they normally have families settled already in an exotic environment, and uh, when their children. Uh, in the middle school or even uh, or in, uh, in the primary school, they can hardly get really uh, readapted into the Chinese language and the cultural environment. So that's something that's uh, are dragging the feet. And the other is also a family issue because the survey shows that uh, only 10% of women will, uh, have the willingness to come back to China as long as they have alternative the uh, jobs or alternative life uh, overseas, particularly in those developed uh, countries. So therefore, they are also dragging their feet. Not many people like my friend 
I cannot name his name, but uh, he just wanted to come back to China and the wife didn't agree, okay, divorce, and then she, he, he just decisively come back. But, uh, you know, they are also dragging their feet. So now uh, for China, the policy uh, support needs to be all around. For example, you know, the, uh, the, the whole system is also a blockade. They only offer the white uh, people join, wanted to join public service uh, area or join SOEs because they can offer the type of hukou system for the returnees in big cities like Beijing and Shanghai. But uh, otherwise, you know, uh, they can also be discriminated in the uh, job choices. So therefore, in the end, it is really how we can really uh, set up the right type of environment in a holistic approach to have the bird, respect the bird, and uh, support the bird laying more eggs. And uh, Joseph, you've already listed a, a bunch of reasons or, or aspects that need to be improved. But if you are asked to choose one, what would you say is um, uh, the first and foremost? You know, I, would, I, would, I would suggest uh, approaching the, if you want to attract top uh, science and tech talent, I would suggest taking uh, a little bit different approach. First, uh, instead of uh, trying to base these people in universities, which are inherently conservative organizations, uh, set them up with, with partnerships, make them like the Huawei or Tencent distinguished professor of something or another, and then, and then have them connected to uh, industry um, and then have industry supporting but also providing some access to labs and create a better synthesis between the universities and and uh, the private sector and that may create some, all sorts of interesting openings as well as new financing uh, to make this supportive the other thing is you know i think this this uh there's a problem of of making people offers that they can't refuse you know what i mean like if you if you make yeah. some high level uh, scholar, this this offer that's so compelling that 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 she has to take it, uh, but then uh, when she gets over here, right? There's there's going to be some some buyer's remorse, uh, as as was said. You 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 know maybe your children don't handle it very well or or something like this. But but more to the point, uh, I often find in in China that we and not not just China, it's it's everywhere that we have this problem that. That you know, you work really hard to you know score the win to to attract the talent, but then you don't you don't you either don't have the ability or or maybe you've maybe you maybe because you attracted that talent you now got promoted into another position, um, but now your institution doesn't have the capacity to actually support uh, that talent on the level that you promised them. Uh, so you know, I I think that we have to uh, maybe rethink. Uh, institutionally how we handle this to open it up a little bit but also we should have people coming to china because they want to be here not because um yes you can get paid but whatever but but not because they're being made offers that uh, that they just can't reasonably refuse mm. and helen the lady who always looks on the you know bright side <laughs> of everything what's your suggestion <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I tend to agree with Joseph's uh, suggestion, uh, the alternative suggestion to have private sectors, the leading private companies to play a bigger role in in this process by having more top talents to come back to China, to the home country. I think when we talk about the sense of convenience, ultimately it is the sense of safety and hope uh, which draws overseas graduates to come back. So. On one hand, we need to, instead of bringing them back 
through the, the, the to a complete you know internal domestic system which they are not familiar with for the past decades did they grow unfamiliar with that uh, so maybe the middle ground like the private sectors can offer a a kind of middle ground and a more uh, convenient uh, stop for them to contribute to not only the private sector but also to the country and also to fulfill the self-accomplishment. I think this is a very attracting uh, alternative. Actually, actually, in the political science field, the think tank I'm working uh, I'm working with is doing a similar thing that uh, no matter the professors are. In which universities in Europe or in the North America, we kind of you know we can work on a you know contract base that we are private and governmental think tank, but we invite the political science uh, professors to speak on behalf of the think tank on in the international forums to speak as a Chinese to speak on behalf of think tank. To 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 make their individual and uh, respected uh, respected contributions. Mm, so right. this is maybe one one option. The other is that we we don't not necessarily to count on the already existing top talents. We need to count on the next generations to count on the the future generations like Rations, so that they have their clear cut decision from the very beginning when they go outside to receive the higher education. The the you know. They have the clear decision to come back after the education. I think uh, we we can also count on this generation, right? Uh, that's very mm-hmm. true. So that brings us to Raising, and uh, let's ask uh, Raising what what would be your take on this issue? Something from Gen Z. Well, I think、um, for top talented personal personal fulfillment is very important. I I mean, employees don't want to feel like they are simply a cog in a large machine, but they want to know that they matter and their work is making an impact. So I think they need to feel that they are doing things. They are doing things for even the country or the society, or they are making some contributions to science or any field they are interested. So I think employers need to, yeah, you know, consider this kind of aspect for them. Thanks for that. And with that, we wrap up today's chat. Many thanks to Helen Hanhua, President, Beijing Belt and Road Cooperative Community, Dr. Liu Baocheng, Director of the Center for International Business Ethics at University of International Business and Economics. Joseph Mahoney, professor of politics and international relations, East China Normal University, and my colleague Song Raising for sharing your observations and enlightening, very enlightening insights with us. Please feel free to leave a review or a comment for us, and subscribe to the Chat Lounge wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Tuyin. Thank you for listening. Wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there.